Hey everyone, and welcome to Playing With Fire. Today we're speaking with Dawn. Dawn is my favorite kind of pop star. She straddles genres, pushes expectations and boundaries. She's got a wide range of experience in the industry from being on a reality TV show with P. Diddy called Making the Band, which resulted in Danity Kane. Then she started her own solo career as an independent artist, rebuilding herself on her own terms. I'm lucky to call her a collaborator, but also a friend. This week's conversation with Dawn inspired me to get really serious about the ways we talk to ourselves and the relationship we have with fear. Dawn has built a practice that emphasizes self-awareness so that she can give from the very deepest parts of herself. But she's had to work really hard at this and shares with us how she does that. Get ready to get challenged by this force of a woman and stick around at the end to hear some of my favorite parts. Let's go. Dawn. Hello, beautiful Dawn. <laughs> Hi, gorgeous. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And I'm so, so glad to be reunited with you over Zoom. It's been far too long. Um, Way I, too long for us. Yeah. I know. I know. I, I actually spent some time going back to videos of us performing. I was feeling nostalgic and I went back to some videos of us on tour performing version of me, which was our collaboration that we released to the world. Um, we performed it on tour together and we also made a beautiful video for it. And it was really, really powerful to watch us singing together and, you know, remember the way that we formed such a beautiful dialogue together on stage. It was one of like the most beautiful life experiences for me was to sing with you like truly same it really like same I've always felt that way about you though I've always felt that way like I've always I feel like it's rare when you find someone who understands an art or their art in a way um that's beyond respect it's almost spiritual or it's almost just like there's a connection that you share with someone and in, in a respect and it makes you better and I felt like the tour for me was that it was just like-minded individuals who were really versed in their art I've always felt that you were that um and it's an honor when you're able to do that because I know the other side of it so it's really beautiful when you meet someone who's really just enveloped into their art the way you are so it was one of the best experiences that I've had performing with you as well I think you're fantastic. <laughs> I think you are incredible. And I think that's what has kept our friendship alive is the mutual devotion that we have to to pushing ourselves as artists and, and pushing um, music forward. And, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said there's something spiritual about that because I think there's a unspoken um, thing that we tap into when we perform together on stage. And I have come to, to call that thing a, a type of transcendence. So, you know, an experience where we get drawn outside of ourselves and we feel ourselves pulled into the, the whole or the summation of our parts is so much bigger than what we could do on our own. And seeing mm -hmm. that connection with the audience too, where they feel drawn into something that is that is bigger and beyond. And I, I, I noticed this about you from the first time we met, that you are seeking. You are not satiated and, and, and um, you know, uh, content with the safe. And the title of this podcast is actually Playing With Fire because I, I look to my artist friends and I see the ones that are pushing into these spaces, they, they're not afraid of that force, of that, that fire, that, um, that danger. And, 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 you know, when I look at your career, 
where you've gone as an artist, it's it's just so fearless. And it's, um, I'm sure, meant that you've had to overcome a lot of fear. And I, I kind of wanted to get a lay of the land, first of all, before we go anywhere, about growing up in New Orleans and just how these experiences in your early days, <clears throat> growing up with your family, led you to become that kind of seeker. So early, earliest kind of experiences with the transcendent, however you define that, was that mm. given to you in the context of a faith or a religion or art or, or, you know, how did you come into contact with that idea of something that pulls you outside of yourself and leads you to an experiential union with, with, with something that, you know, expands you? I think that's a good way to put it is like this expansion of, of what you thought you could do. Um, great question. I, it, for me, uh, it, faith was a part of it because New Orleans is like 70% Catholic, Roman Catholic. We're settled by both Spaniards and French. So you have the most black Catholics you'll ever see. And on top of that, Haitians are um, African and Haitian culture. A lot of, of times were colonized by French as well. So Catholic is a strong religion. That's so my parents both grew up devout Catholics. Um, so that was a part of it, but I think culturally, um, being in New Orleans, the understanding of heritage and ancestral culture is so massive and so big within the roots of each family that that's spiritual too, right? So though you understand the concept of church, you also understand the concept of culture and heritage and ancestral um, power, right? So um, God is present. You understand the book and the rules, right? Because that's there. But then beyond that, there is also respect of pain, growth, and um, things that are taught innately in your family when you're born because of the hundreds of years of and thousands of years of ancestral suffering and also uh, royalty that is within those lines that are preached to us while preaching the spiritual journey. And so what you get is this incredible mix of faith within spiritual realms, but cultural realms too, right? How to transcend through, um, through faith in, in church and temple, but through faith in family and, um, background. And that's powerful, right? Because now you're getting two sides of a coin. You're getting what the church and what the world tells you it is, but then you're also getting what your family has been taught generationally to believe as well. Um, and that has been a mark on my life from the very beginning. That is the first time I understand transcendence is when you go to communion and you understand the concept of receiving the body of Christ. But then you also have a conversation with your father and he teaches you about the indigenous culture of your life where from the very beginning your families were rooted in um, uh, the building of railroads or the 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 build uh, the creating of uh, art for the first time or the sewing the feather understanding the feather from two to to three generations back those are being taught to you simultaneously and so there's just an, a a um, a cathartic journey happening early in your life and that was transcendence for me in the in the very beginning coming from New Orleans you're getting faith of of temple and then faith of culture. 
So when were the earliest memories you have of, uh, you know, music becoming a language in which you could um, dialogue with that, with those stories, with the, 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 the narratives that you were being connected to? So my father was a choir director at a Catholic church called St. Maria Goretti, but he was also um, a musician um, who was getting his master's in music theory. Um, so not only was I receiving the biblical journey of hymns, and understanding the concept and the and the and the power of a traditional hymn, but I was also being taught Debussy and Bach and listening to the power of um, the design in, in the classical world. And my father would sometimes bridge those gaps. He'd teach me things that were, I mean, hymns that were we sung in church. You know, I was what five, 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 four, five years old, and he'd play on the piano, and I'd sit under sit underneath it and just listen to him kind of uh, play between church and classical, and he would just meld those worlds together. So again, the societal idea of faith being taught to us, and then the cultural aspect of what was ingrained in us being played at the same time. And so I was learning both without even understanding what that was. I just knew those things lived simultaneously because my father was and encompassing of that, right? And so never knew that that would then dictate the way in which I would go into the world, but that was the first, my first introduction into the musical transcendence is a vocabulary given to me that I didn't even understand the language to. That's really cool. And it feels like that probably made you aware and more open to two things that might seem opposed living together. Mm -hmm. You know, when I think of transcendence I mean obviously it brings to mind these spiritual cathartic moments of connection but it also you know it's suggesting this 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 growth this evolution where we're kind of we're given containers or boxes that we're told to live inside and then we find ways to move beyond them and that's been mm -hmm. such a theme in your work and I know that's a huge part of your messaging as well is to transcend stereotype to transcend genre to transcend ideas of being black ideas of being a woman and this is mm -hmm. like I'd love to learn more about um, the boxes that you were given especially in the time of Danity Kane because that was like mm. a structure that was you know it, we're similar in the sense that we were both put into these like major label systems these kind of very like strong boxes and then had to find ways to form our own voice and to find our own path um, while not throwing away the box altogether because the box served an important, you know, it gave us some structure, it gave us something to rebel against as well. So talk to me a little bit about how those boxes that you were given in the early days of working um, on making the band provided a kind of um, a place for you to, to push against that and then find your own voice. Being given those boxes and making the band was one of the hardest things I had to ever experience because I never thought that my skin color, the way I looked, and visually, aesthetically, um, how I looked would dictate the way in which I was viewed, where I was put, um, and how it would have to sing. Um, and so the boxes came early, and they came from men, and they came from powerful men. And so... Um, that was a hard rude awakening for me, but it was also the best thing that I think could have ever happened for me because that immediately began the process of me uh, putting it within the art. I had no way being in a group of 
of articulating because we didn't have social media. We weren't in the times we are now. So I couldn't say I'm rebelling against this now. I couldn't say the black women are being treated ridiculously. We're being called bitches, excuse my language. I couldn't say these things, right? I couldn't say we were overworked and I couldn't say that because you know I was called ugly and put to the back or the side, but they also wanted me to sing everything but not visually be seen in the in the pictures. I couldn't understand the concepts of those things because I had just come from the NBA dancing amongst multiple women where I, I was thriving. And then here I go into society and they're saying your hair color, your face, your size, because you know, you're thin. I was thin, so I'm not black enough because I'm not curvy. I'm not white enough because my God, where's your soft features? Um, your tone, however, is lovely. So can you just sing these songs? But then when we do the cover of the show, the, the visuals, can you just stay in the very end on the back? Or the concept of let's even out the um, visual, make sure the two black girls are on the outside so that that color is symmetrical. These are things that we had to experience. Um, but it also gave me, I filed boxes, right? I started to file. And every opportunity I was able to give a glimpse of myself within these moments, I had to become a surgeon trying to figure out how to show myself without stealing someone else's light. That's a very hard box for women to carry, right? We, that's called pandering. That's what we learned to do very early. And that began the science of pandering, right? Is to how do I give my light without taking someone else's? How do I stroke someone's ego to get what I need out of the situation? So though the manufactured idea was beautiful um, for us in the sense that it made money for someone, not us, um, it was also a rude awakening for me to, to decide when I got the opportunity to leave, I would never live in that space again. It took for me to hate myself tremendously to fall in love with myself. And that's something that I think a lot of us go through when you're talking about boxes, right? You get pigeonholed so much that you start to hate the person you become because you have no idea or recognize who that person is. Um, and I did not like the concept of that. How does one not get completely jaded by an experience like that because it's it's so easy for people to have those experiences and let it shut them down rather than continue to to to, to step into nakedness to step into honesty to step into bravery I, you know did this come from a deep knowing a deep calling on your life um a sense of perhaps there being a like like you said, a, a God force, a divine spirit that needed to come through your work. I would love to know more about that, like less from the, the, the church space, but from like the personal relationship that you had to that to that feeling of transcendence early on. Yeah. And it's it's great that you say that because I never really connect. I understood why my parents loved, you know, Catholicism. And but I always knew it was never about church for me. It was I enjoyed the stories. I enjoyed the parables and I connected with them. The stories of the leper, the Samaritan, David and Goliath, those things were powerful all, even as a kid. And I didn't know how to articulate that to my parents. Um, but it was always about the stories for me, um, and the underdog and what that was and how, um, Joan of Arc really was one of the, the wildest stories I ever read. Um, and it moved me. I don't know. It was just such a wild concept of a woman 
had to shaving her head and how it had to become a man to create this message. And though people said there was this borderline of madness, it wasn't truth that she had this message or was she just mad? And that fine line is real in all things with faith, right? And so as I read the stories, I found that most of those people who were messengers were borderline mad. Yeah. They want they were they had madness in them because they believed with a ferocity. They believed with an undying and unflinching faith. And that always resonated. And as I got older, mythology become some became something I also enjoyed because those stories of the Ulysses and 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 those stories, even though they again were built off of a societal ridiculousness. The Greeks were disgusting, but um, it's the truth, but the concept of the parables were interesting to me. And then I got older and I read Buddhism and I read Buddhist and Hindi culture. And then I would go out and I would travel and I would read upon all these um, um, Metanites and Quakers. And the through line is that there is this messenger, a prophet with this message that borders on madness because they believe in something so bigger than them that it moves people, that resonated with me at four, at age four, that made sense to me. And it has always been powerful to me that if you choose to have an art to speak to the masses, be intentional and purposeful in the, the message you send. The music I loved was that too. The women who spoke, the artists that I loved, spoke about things that were forceful to them. I never forget, like, loving the Cranberries, but I didn't. It was because Dolores had gone through things in Ireland. And when she spoke of these things, you could hear the pain of what she went through in Ireland. That's so random for a, a 10-year-old girl in New Orleans to connect to that, right? But there was something powerful about the way in which she chose to deliver that message, I liked artists who delivered messages that they felt were grander than them. Um, and I want to be that. And that has been the thing saving me. So, yes, I believe in the universe. I believe in faith. I believe in the stars. I believe in dreams. I believe in people. Yes. I believe in dreamers. And I believe in, I believe in manifestation. I believe in the power of word. And I believe in God. I believe in all those things. Yahweh, I believe in um, uh, Krishna. I think all those things um, are powers that are magic for whomever. But it's magic, it's faith, it's prayer. These are all, to me, one and the same. I would love to like actually learn a little bit from you about practices you have especially in your mm -hmm. you know harder harder moments um mm -hmm. in this industry practices you have to keep returning to that space of of purity and keep it alive in you on the days mm -hmm. when it's you know being threatened i fight for it like i would fight for anything else right it has to be just as important as air you breathe it has to be just as important as fixing your car or your home and it has to be a part of your everyday life it's practice mm -hmm. i have to believe that um, when it gets hard, it's enough. I'm worth it enough to step away and go back to that place. Um, I do it within, I can be a recluse, but I tend to leave. I tend to check out of the crazy. So if it's the city or anywhere, I will go in seclusion and go live with myself, by myself and write. I will journal. 
I will read. Um, I'm a huge reader. I love Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm-hmm. I'll look into mindfulness and, you know, I'm a yogi. I, I will go and meditate for days on end. Of, and I'll do silent retreats. I love silent retreats where I don't speak. I don't talk. I don't, I just sit. And, and understand the power of being in the moment. Us artists, our biggest weaknesses um, is to constantly be chasing the dragon that we don't even understand the winds. We never sit in them long enough to actually observe them, digest them, hold them before we're moving to the next moment. And in those moments, we lose sight that those winds are things that we manifested through our message. And so they need to be set in, they need to be digested, they need to be respected. Um, And when I feel like I'm moving so much on autopilot that I'm missing in the moments of my wins, I step away. Because those quiet moments where I'm like, I did this, we did this, self, we did this, congratulations to self, self, now how do we reflect on this and how do we get better? How do we love ourselves more because we did this? that matters to me, to be the best friend to myself that I possibly can be. Um, that's how I do it. Um, and I make it a plan to do it. So if I go three to four months and I'm feeling detached or I'm feeling like I am on autopilot and I'm forgetting the art and the message, I will detach myself from all things, trends, society, TV, network, internet, everything. And I will, be re- I will become reacquainted with the four to six-year-old girl Yes. that wanted to just fly. Oh, I love that. I'm in admiration of the devotion and the discipline that you have to this, to, to returning back and to, to befriending oneself. It's, it's interesting, the self, because I, I think about this a lot when it comes to spirit and transcendence, that a lot of the great um, teachers also t- talk about the loss of self, right? Like this, this mm-hmm. kind of like letting go of the idea that we are self and we kind of lose ourselves into the, the oneness of all things. That paradox is so interesting because it's like we, in, in our art, my most like um, transcendent moments are when I feel like I lose a a sense of self, like a sense of Kimbra. I am Kimbra. I kind of become something. It, it's, it's not about my ego anymore. It's just about serving the, the, the people and the message and something bigger rises up out of that. But yet in order to function, in order to keep you know, going, <laughs> yeah, in order to turn up each day, we do need to keep a container and keep a, a, a dialogue with self that is healthy, even if it is somewhat not completely true in the end that we are an existing is this making sense i'm going off now <laughs> no 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 you're, you're making complete sense and, and this is what i mean by so for me i cannot give a message to others in its truest form if i am not acquainted and understanding who i am first yeah, yeah. and that's what i mean when i say self-care is if you keep going and chasing that dragon, right, you'll get diluted in the process of in which because everyone's, the trends are telling you one thing, analytics are telling you another, especially if you're indie. You have to look at the numbers, the manufacturing, the, the finance. It can become overwhelming. And you'll keep pumping out music, you'll keep pumping out content, and when you look at your content, you'll start to see a dilution. The mm. message starts to get, what am I trying to say here? Mm. The only way I feel naturally is that I can give the correct message to then lose myself. I can't lose ah. myself if I don't know me first. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's and that's great. what I mean by like I can't pop. Like I cannot. You get too lost 
and you won't be able to find your way back. And I know the kind artists that we're so sensitive that we're easily putting ourselves away from the, the product and giving it to everyone else because that is, it's therapeutic for us. It is also how we heal yeah. is to give it to, it's like giving our light to the world. This is what we want you. We want to make you feel good. That works beautifully. But in the process, you find artists who are then now mentally diminished, mm-hmm. um, mental health issues, because they are so drained, their energy is so soaked away because they have been so lost in the process that their their own self-energy and their own light has been dimmed. You cannot feed others or, or give others your cup if you're, it's empty. It just yeah. doesn't. You have to be able to fill your cup to then give it to the world and then become a student again. It's and pay it forward. Yes. What the message, what we give out, they give us. It's a beautiful exchange of art and creatives giving each other power and in, 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 to me an energy source. And I feel like when you lose sight of who you are and the message that in which you want to, like the art, what you want to put out to the world, you have to be careful of those morphing it into what they see it to be. Um, and then you lose sight of what you were doing in the very beginning. That's just my own personal journey. I think all artists have different ways, but when I say self care, it's less about ego and more uh, and less about self uh, being a part of the project and more about understanding the goal of self and mm. making sure you know what your message is before you lose yourself in it. I am always enveloped in the art, but I have to know the purpose, the intention, yeah. just like you do magic or prayer. Yeah. Before you set up prayer, you say, dear God, this is the things that I choose and want. Before you write your manifestations down and put in the attention, you say you write a list of all the things you want out of that manifestation before you put it into the world. It's no different than when you set up prayer or even witches or Wiccans who do mm-hmm. that magic because I've met those people too beautiful people in their own right and they choose they have altars they have intention before they do intention they bless the crystals they it's the same thing everyone has to first come to core and self and understand the intention that they're setting forth before they then lose it to the atmosphere or lose it to the world or to the universe i think that's imperative for your art is to know the intention i think that's right let's talk a little bit about fear um because it's it's the thing that connects us all and the thing that, you know, most holds us back. When those fears rise up, how do you work to kind of um, push them, to, not just push them to the side, but rather engage them to fuel the fire, to fuel the, because I think that's key, isn't it, is, is being able to actually use these things that rise up. Yeah, I'm a hard one because I'm an adrenaline junkie and my biggest friend that I like to play with is fear. I, the moment fear comes to me, I immediately want to just go dead first in front of her. I want to challenge her constantly. I like the feeling of when it gets really strong on me to then go at her in a chicken race, you know, like I just kind of yeah. like uh, become aggressive to try to overcome that. Um, that has always been who I've been. Every time I feel her, because she's she comes through the chest strong um and she'll bring all these doubts I start to try to tackle them one at a time and say okay if yeah I'm gonna best that and it becomes this quite this little jousting match between me and fear that has been going on through my life for a long time my biggest fear is to not touch enough people yeah that has always been my biggest fear is that I I don't 
I will leave this earth not touching as many as I know I can if given the opportunity. Yes. That's my biggest fear is not getting the opportunity that I know. Like I never will get the opportunity to touch as many people as I know I can because I am them, they are me. And music saved me in so many ways. I would love to just pay it forward and do the same back. That is my biggest fear. How I tackle that um, daily is to say, but isn't one many? Mm. And I have to tell myself that isn't one enough because that one was me. Yes. Right? And that has to be enough. And so that's the battle with that. And it's a hard one, right? But I enjoy the adrenaline junkie in me enjoys that fight with fear. Yeah. I never shy away from that feeling. I think that feeling makes me human. Um, And it also helps me with my art because that is, I am not the only one feeling that. I'm not. And so if I put that to the art, maybe someone else will feel unalone in that process. Yes. And they may better their journey through fear, right? Exactly. And that's yes. that's the, that's the essence of really what we're here to do as 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 humans, right? Is to to love one another enough to give us the information to to, to make it a bit easier to move through mm. life, mm. to heal through life. We're just trying to make it easier for one another yes. to love each other enough to make it a bit easier. Yes. Um, because life is hard all on its own. That's right. Right. Yeah. If you're given the art to change a life and make it a bit easier, then my gosh, you know. That's the moment of transcendence. Yeah, that's massive. Oh, my gosh. Every time we speak, I, I am so moved and, uh, you know, just shaken by your determination in your field and, you know, your c- consistent seeking to, 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 to be better at what you do, but to, to give it away while not diminishing yourself. I mean, that's so important. That's so important. Women to, need that. We yes. need that because we're told to not, to diminish ourselves to the betterment of the, of the husband, the child, yeah. the whatever it is. We, that's what we're being told early. Mm-hmm. And so we are almost to feel guilty for choosing ourselves in these moments. We are uh, sensitive creatures. We are intuitive creatures. Mm-hmm. It is important for us to have that replenishment so that we're able to then keep giving our light to people. That We cannot give dim light. People need more than that. Yeah, they do. Yeah. You are such a light, Dawn, and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for you and for this friendship and the dialogue that we continue to keep up over the years. I can't wait till we're in person again, hanging out or making music. Yeah, and I can hug you and love you on you. I miss you so much, and you call me anytime, and I will always be there. You're just one of those people I adore to the moon and back. So always hit me up. I will never not be there. Thank you, Dawn. Appreciate you, Mama. Yeah. Until next time. Wow, what a huge insight that was into the music industry and the strength of an artist to endure, rise up, and transcend the limitations. I love Dawn's deep interest in storytelling. Her understanding of faith came through the lens of culture and family and ancestors. This creates a conversation that's remained present through her work. 
I love her appreciation of the prophet, who carries a little madness in them because of their sheer determination at all costs for their message. She was drawn to these figures who played with fire. She saw how that process was like a purification. We talked about knowing the self and losing the self, but you can't do one without the other. She reminds us to always return to the goal or the intention of the art. When we know what that is, we can transcend many of the boxes imposed on us. And finally, I loved how Dawn calls us to fill up from within in order to be of use to others. You can't give dim light, and when we build up our inner reserves, we increase our capacity to heal the world. And by the world, I mean one. And by one, I mean many. Join the conversation over at Discord. It's a place where we can build community around the things we're learning together. This podcast is brought to you by TalkHouse. Feel free to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.